Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Today, we're going to talk about discipleship, which sounds boring, I know, but give me a second. Discipleship is actually something that's very near and dear to my heart, really important to me. Um, growing up, I got saved when I was four, right? Grew up in the church. I learned at a pretty young age that Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, to teach them to observe everything that he had taught the disciples, right? And so from there, they were supposed to go and then disciple the nations. And it was like, whoa. And that was like the end. Like they did this and then Jesus would come back and all the things, right? And then growing up in the Christian world, I started wondering where the discipleship piece was like why wasn't it happening i was missing like the where are the rabbis the mentors the people who are taking people under their wing and legitimately transforming their lives from that one-on-one mentorship thing right i wasn't seeing it a lot which was disheartening and i was also very hungry for that and then god took me on a journey which landed me in tokyo japan that was not the plan but that ended up happening it was a radical encounter the lord kind of just spoke to me at not kind of the Lord absolutely spoke to me at my job. I was in the corporate world, working my way up that ladder. And then God's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, what? He's like, you're not supposed to be here. I have something else for you. And then I moved to Japan eight months later. Kind of crazy. Anyway, when I went there, I met a man named David McDaniel. He was a missionary who was a pastor in California for 20 years and then moved to Japan. Again, radical encounter situation. God moved his whole family. He's been a missionary there for like 15 years now. Anyway, when I met him, I was a very different person. Back then, I was skeptical of the spirit world. I don't, almost didn't even believe in it on some level, which is ironic and strange, especially for people who know me now. It's like, that's really weird. But back then I was a different guy. I was different, you know? Um, I've had many experiences with the Lord since then and lots of changes in my own inner world. But back then when I met Dave, I was scared, paranoid, and suspicious. Not top qualities you're looking for in a disciple, right? But he took me under his wing and mentored me for five months. Like it was, and it was intense. It was like life on life day in, day out, this stuff would come up. I'm like, hey, what about this? You believe in this? What, you speak in tongues? You believe in the Holy Spirit? You believe in miracles, prophecy? What? And then all this paranoia, right? And this theology would just come out of me of fear and control. And Dave got to confront a lot of it. And he was messy. Like this missionary was a messy person. In my opinion, right? In the way that I estimated him. Although he was sound in terms of his intelligence and his wisdom, his practical application. He was an upstanding guy and had a heart for people. And he seemed to have a functioning relationship with the Lord and was also spirit-led, which meant he was creepy and spooky and weird, right? Back then. Anyway, um, I very respected him. Is that the right word? <laughs> I really respected him. Oh, man. Um, but had some stuff theologically that I had to wrestle through in terms of things he valued and stood up for or whatever. Anyway, 
the Holy Spirit was very instrumental, obviously, in this process and continued to pull things out of me and expose beliefs that I had that were very limiting to my worldview and perspective and that the Bible implicated what I understood and accepted up to that point was not enough. I was missing stuff. And so Dave really came in at a pivotal time in my life, poked at some of that stuff and caused me to have to explore and expand, which was terrifying and amazing and it changed my life. I'm so grateful and I hated it. I would never want to do it again, but I'm so glad that it happened. Um, I remember specifically one time, this was a game changer for me. This has nothing to do with Dave, but it was under his tutelage and in that season, <clears throat> excuse me, I went to a, I went to Tokyo Baptist Church, which is a, an American run Baptist church in Tokyo, right? And this pastor was preaching on something. And at some point in his sermon, he was going over a passage. And in that passage, Jesus was like, who do people say that I am? And the disciples were like, oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah back from the dead and blah, blah, blah. He's like, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, right? And Jesus is like, hey, you're blessed, Peter, because nobody told you that. My father in heaven revealed that to you. And in that moment, finally, I accepted, I realized that there was this thing in the world called revelation. This thing that could happen to you where all of a sudden you had understanding and insight on something you didn't learn from books or from people. Something deeper, something more profound, something, dare I say, spiritual? I saw it in scripture and I was like, oh my gosh, that's a thing. And I had had a couple of revelations up to that point on this journey. And I was like, that's a thing. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I was intellectually validated in accepting the idea that I could learn things or know things outside of other people or outside of um, an established, you know, system or whatever. And I was like, whoa, God actually teaches us things directly. Like, you, we get revelation from God that changed my life. And I was like, whoa. And once I accepted that piece, all these possibilities from then on, like started finding room in my heart. And thankfully that got put in place because at some point along this journey, while I was in Japan, I came across Bethel, Bill Johnson's book, When Heaven Invades Earth, right? And Bill was going after stuff in Revelation, obviously coming out of that man. He mentioned it a few times and I was like, oh my gosh, he knows, he knows. I mean, he was a, it was a lot of things he talked about that was like radically changing my life, but the revelation piece was there. Anyway, so that was kind of a big deal. Um, being under Dave's tutelage, having him as a spiritual father, as a mentor, right? Paul said, you have like 10,000 teachers in Christ or instructors or whatever, right? Guardians, but you don't have many fathers. And I adopted you because of the Lord, right? Like I've become your father, whatever. We don't have a lot of that going on anymore. Um, and there's a corporate aspect to this where we can have a spiritual father who's at a distance whom we can watch, right? We can learn from, from the platform, from the stage and take notes and be under their spiritual covering. And that's a legitimate thing. I don't want to downplay that at all. But the life on life, practically, here's my soul. Here's my mind. Here are the thought processes. Here are the mindsets that I'm dealing with. Here are some beliefs. And having someone step into our unique context and be able to provide commentary or feedback or correction or empowerment in that unique intentional relationship where there's intimacy, like that missing is detrimental to the development of a disciple. Um, and we're supposed to be making these people, right? We're supposed to be creating disciples in the world. And so anyway, um, that happened. It came back and then ended up moving to Redding, California to be part of Bethel Church. Going through first and second year, I met a fellow student who was a few years older than me, like on the second day of school. And she and I did school for the rest of that time together. And she mentored me. She was again, like another mentor and she was more of like a peer, but I put her in a mentor category because she was so gifted and skilled specifically in the area of discernment and the gift of discernment and separating what's happening in the spirit realm. It was shocking how her gift worked. And so she trained me for almost two years 
on how that worked. What was the spirit world like? How was I participating in it? How was I picking it up? And it was really hard to learn at first because it was such a foreign perspective and value and priority and the way that she understood the world was so different than the way I did. And uh, it took months before I finally started catching stuff that she was saying and for it to start clicking. It actually took a couple of years before this stuff really started to like take root. And I was like, oh my gosh, I get it. I remember there was a 21 day period after second year where things just clicked many times a day for 21 days almost. I think it was 21. It was weird. And I was like, it just started rewiring a bunch of things about me. And I was like, that's all true. Interesting. Ugh. And she told me this like 10 months ago, a year ago, five months ago, whatever. It just started clicking, firing off really quickly. And I was like, whoa. So I started using this stuff. Um, and if there's anything that I can look back on my time <laughs> in this journey and being like, man, that was me being set up for success. It was how executive I was. I took action on the things that I was learning. I actually like used it. I tested it. And I think that I found with students today, many of them don't practice the stuff they're learning. It's all head knowledge. They like ask questions. They intellectually engage with the material, but they don't actually change their behavior or they're, they don't like participate in relationship with the stuff they're learning or like trying to test if it's true for themselves. They'll just accept because this teacher said it, that it must be true. And then in theory, they just enjoy it from a theoretical standpoint, but don't actually change their behavior. And so it doesn't actually produce life. It doesn't produce results. I didn't want to just accept someone's opinion. I had to go test the thing. I had to go figure out, is this real? Does this is actually translate into real life. And I think when I'm teaching my classes, I definitely try to provide practical approach and application so people can do something with it. You know, like I want to get nice and nitty gritty and specific and daily. What does this look like in conversations, in relationships, in the things, right? Anyway, so from that place, I was like testing what was I learning with discernment and I started calling people out. Like, I think one of the biggest practices that I had was confronting evil in my environment when people were conducting themselves because of evil, not because of love, which was weird because these are all great people. I was surrounded by a lot of cool, upstanding Christians, right? But I was also aware of nasty stuff coming out of them, things that they would choose that were not good, manipulation, control, shame, fear, whatever. And as they would participate in a social setting, even I could feel that stuff. And so I started realizing that's what was happening my whole life. So I wanted to figure out, is this real? And I would pull some of the people aside that I had relationship with. I'm like, Hey, when this happened, this is what I was feeling. What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Where was that coming from? But and we kind of reasoned together and it was crazy to me to watch what was coming out of these people. They were like, Oh my gosh. I think you're right. I, no, I've never heard this before, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And all these memories are flooding my mind of that thing. And, uh, and they're like, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know what you do. I don't know. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. So I'm like, I think maybe. And I just started making stuff up for people. I'll try this, go this way. Just for my own journey and process. And I started seeing some pretty radical breakthroughs in people around me from me just simply confronting the stuff that I was picking up, which was shocking and fascinating. And so as I started getting more results from that practice, I started becoming more profoundly impressed with what, I'd been learning that whole time. And then fast forward, I got hired on staff at Bethel Church a couple years, like a year later. I was working in the events department. I worked there for six years. I got hired by a woman named Deborah Coombs. She was Deborah Stevens back then, and I got married while I worked for her. Deborah Coombs. Deborah was, is the fiery eyes lion lady at Bethel. It's kind of, she's got some funny reputations. Anybody that goes to the conference world knows she's the woman with the eyes, the super intense eyes and the hair. Um, and she just leaves a pile of bodies in her wake, just people encountering the Lord and physically like falling out in hallways, in lines, in the services, whatever. She would just like grab people and look them in the eyes and stuff would happen to them is fascinating. She was terrifying. 
And it was the grace of God that allowed me to say yes to this woman and to work for her and the grace of God that she chose me. But she did, like from the moment she interviewed me, she adopted me in her heart and said yes. And she became a spiritual mother to me, which was awesome. So again, I went from Dave to Lindsay to Deborah. And Deborah was shockingly gifted in the prophetic and discernment, like keen, specific insight, like weird, like... It was like another level, like learning how to walk with Deborah, the things that she would say, like, where, did, where is that coming from? What does that mean? How does she know that? And the stuff that would line up and then she would just make a random stray statement. And all of a sudden, four hours later, the thing she said is exactly what's going on. You're like, that would happen all the time. It was so weird. You're just like, you kind of feel superstitious around her. You're like, oh my God, everything she says is like, oh. um, but it was a thing. Like she just had such a reputation because she was just following spirit and it would be validated through the facts and the manifestations around us. Right. Anyway. Studying under Deborah, again, like being discipled by her, she taught me. So Deborah's job was to run the conference world at Bethel and to um, take care of our guests, ministry people, like people that came from other places, bigwig ministers in the revival world, right? Like any of the bigwigs that would come to Bethel, she was taking care of all of them. She arranged their hotels. She arranged the drivers. She would assist them at every event we were at, make sure they were getting fed. She looked after all the things, right? And so I was under her in that world. She taught me how to relate to dignitaries and royalty, which in hindsight, like I wasn't aware of that at the time. A little bit at times I'm like, oh, this is profound and this is important what I'm learning. But she was very intentional about teaching me stuff. How did I dress? How did I present myself? How do you approach this thing? What do you do financially here? Just like very practical, but also spiritual. How do you respond to this stuff? And just being with her, getting to watch how she did stuff changed my life. Some of that was she intentionally taught me and a lot of it was stuff I observed and experienced from just being around her, you know? And that piece, the discipleship piece, I'm like, I feel like that's missing from the world. We don't have a ton of opportunity for, I guess, young people, and not that they have to be young, but young people to get around those who've gone ahead of them, specifically in the faith, and to just be around them and observe them and experience them. I asked a lot of questions to Deborah on deliverance. I'm like, what are you doing when this is happening? What are you doing when this situation takes place? What are you doing when you're looking at the person and grabbing them in the stomach? Why are you grabbing their belly? Like, I'm asking all these questions, and she's like, I don't know. Like, she didn't really know what to tell me a lot of the time. Or sometimes she didn't want to tell me. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, but watching her and seeing the results she was getting, you just kind of start piecing things together. And I'm so grateful because there, there are things now. I was just in Tokyo like last week and we were doing a fire tunnel after a service. And there was stuff happening in that fire tunnel that I was doing that I learned from Deborah from watching her. She never explained to me how or why. I just started imitating stuff that I learned from her from observing her. And stuff was happening to people. And I was like, I don't know what's happening here. My brain is not leading this. But, you know, like I remember this one woman came through the fire tunnel put my hand on her head. I just said fire. And as soon as I touched her head and said that, she started like, uh, like gagging, you know what I mean? Like manifesting a demon. I'm like, Oh, and she was the first one in the line at 15 people up to this point had just been like experiencing the Lord. And all of a sudden she starts manifesting a demon. I'm like, Oh, and then my team was just like, eh, they don't know what's happening yet. I'm like, there's a demon in this woman. I put my hand on her head and I said fire. She's like, ah. and then she fell to the ground on her knees. It just was like retching almost on the floor. I'm like, Oh, this is, and my team's like, Oh, and they like didn't know what to do just like put her hands put their hands on her and I was like I don't want this thing to just like I don't want to just like move on so I put my hand on her hand on her back and I just said fire a few more times and it just started manifesting even more and then I grabbed the assistant of the pastor and I was like hey do you guys have a deliverance team or something and this older lady came over with a trash can and I was like what else you got <laughs> so anyway um, one of the guys on my team was like we need to move her out I'm like yeah take her kick it out and then so he like escorted away and I knew that this guy had enough experience in the spirit that he would probably be able to handle this great um, my team started laughing because they thought I was being so flippant about the situation, but I wanted to keep the thing moving. I also knew it wasn't a big deal and I loved that it was happening, but my bigger takeaway from that whole moment was 
what I'm participating in in this space, I was not, I didn't learn in a classroom. No one like intellectually taught me how to do this. I observed this from Deborah. You know what I mean? And so I'm so grateful for having mentors in my life who in those seasons deposited and mentored me, deposited things into me that legitimately are still producing to this day that I didn't find by myself and I still don't understand very well. There's a lot of things I learned from Deborah that I'm realizing like, oh, I learned this from Deborah and I still don't know why I'm doing it, but it matters. And I can see that it's producing fruit. I don't get it yet. And I'm going to continue to explore those things, but there is an impartation and osmotic transference in the spirit where we actually pick things up through relationship, through trust, through submission to authority, not intellectually, not through book learning. You know what I mean? And when most of the world, especially the Western culture is taught to learn stuff by note taking and reading and assimilating information and data. If that's how you think we're going to pick stuff up, we are going to be shortchanged when it comes to actually moving in the spirit. We receive things through impartation, through revelation. There's something else going on here that's more profound than what your mind can keep up with or take notes of. And I've found that as I've said yes to things in the spirit, my mind can come in after the fact and take notes on the carnage. Oh, that's what that means. Oh, that's what happened. It just kind of like observes a crime scene all. It's like, okay, it looks like the perpetrator came over here and then they did this and blah, blah, blah. And just kind of like learning after the fact. I want my mind to be the backseat person. I want him to be able to come in. Apparently my mind's a dude. I want him to come in and like take notes after the fact and just like kind of gather data to store information of the spirit, not trying to lead this thing and deciding what's allowed and what's not based on natural law. I want my spirit to lead. Right. And I think that we all would do, (coughs) excuse me, we all would do well to govern ourselves accordingly and to pursue knowledge and understanding and insight in that manner. And I learned that from Deborah. I think Lindsay and Dave tried teaching me that, but I wasn't getting it back then. So anyway, enough under Deborah. Finally, something shifted and I was like, okay, I don't get it. But stuff happens in the spirit. I respect her and believe her enough that I'm willing to accept that even though my mind doesn't get it. Um, So anyway, my point in that is discipleship is a big deal. It's a huge thing on my heart, which is why this pneumaculture thing is as important to me as it is and why I invest so much time and energy into my team and my interns. I don't know what the solution is long-term big picture. I'm still exploring that myself, but my resolve to taking interns every year and investing like hours a week into these people, years of my life is I don't want to just complain that we don't have mentors or rabbis making disciples or whatever the right term is of that, right? Fathers and mothers. I don't want to just complain and comment, be a commentator and be like a a critic. We're missing this as a church. I don't have a ton of value for people who just have opinions. I want to actually participate. I want to step into the arena and contribute and participate and give what I have. Right. And so though I don't think I'm the solution, I think people stepping up and taking on disciples and teaching them how to observe what the Lord has taught us is a big deal. And so I'm doing my piece. I'm hoping that, you know, this can continue to grow and I'm not the only one by any means. There are several other people I'm aware of who are doing this, but they are rare. They are uncommon. They're like unicorns in our world, like just special and unique. Um, And I would like that to become more of a commonplace thing. I think that we actually need that. If the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our God, we need the discipleship thing to to take its place. We need people to embrace this as a practice, that there's availability, there's priority, there's intention, and that there's structure there to provide opportunity for people to step into that. So anyway, um, that's just another key piece I wanted to throw in here as an episode because it's such a central piece in my heart and also obviously pretty reflective in the choices I've made and the way that our culture is moving, pneumoculture, the way that we've chosen to orient ourselves, it's coming from this massive value of discipleship and being able to receive impartation and revelation and moving in the spirit, not just taking notes and not just doing book learning. Anyway, I hope that makes sense in the big picture, but this is a big, big deal. So I wanted to throw it in there.
By the way, while we're on this subject, if you're someone who's looking for a mentor, looking for someone to disciple you, which I know a lot of people are, I guess I have some some tips to give you. I don't know that this is like a formula or the answer, but here are some helpful things that I found along the way. And a lot of it's going to be internal, right? Um, priority intention number one, I want to come to this place in my heart where I'm postured and ready to serve my mentor, whomever they are, even if they haven't arrived yet. I'm ready and willing to contribute and give my life to someone else, which sounds extreme, and it is, but that's the nature of discipleship. If you want the real deal, it's going to be extreme compared to what normal Christianity and like normal life is looking like today. Um, there's this like commitment, there's this submission, and it's there's not a time frame on it. We don't say, I'm going to follow this person for six months or 12 months or two years. We That actually shouldn't be up to us. If it's genuine discipleship and we're following the Holy Spirit, we're going to say, I'm going to follow this person, Period. And then the Lord gets to decide what the rest of that looks like, not us. Not the mentor, not us. The Lord gets to decide that if we're actually being spirit-led, right? If we're trusting in him rather than, our, rather than our own understanding. So I think priority number one is you want to set the intention in your heart that you're actually willing to give your life to someone else, to serve them, to make them look like a genius, to contribute to their empire, their ministry, whatever it is that they're doing, and add your strength and your insight and your energy and your passion and your support to what they're doing. You want that to be your intention because without that, the restless is going to be difficult and confusing and probably not very successful. Even if you did find somebody, if you don't come with that intention, your ability to receive from them is going to be limited. Um, if you come under someone's authority, you submit to who they are and you actually give them that level of commitment and service in your heart, not just in what you do, but from your intention, it actually allows you in the spirit to pull things from them that they might not even know they're giving you. Not because they're holding it back because they don't know how to give it to you. You can still pull it from them. It's shocking. It's part of why I got stuff from Dave and Lindsay and Deborah. I like bent myself toward them in a certain way. I didn't do it because I had to. I did it because I understood this was a path in the spirit. I didn't know that back then, but it's a thing. So as we say yes to that, it can pull. It creates this vacuum and it allows for there to be this exportation into our being. <clears throat> so you want that intention to be there. I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to commit to somebody. I'm going to serve them. Yes, it might sound extreme. Yes, other people around me might not be doing it, but it's worth it because I want the real deal, right? So there's that. The other piece is um, get in environments or things or whatever that have the mentors you're looking for. I would let the Lord lead you. Like, don't fix it on a certain human and decide this person has to mentor me. Unless the Lord is highlighting that person, then by all means commit. But if you're just coming up with a solution, like I'm looking for a person, they seem to fit it, and then you fix it on them, man, life's going to get really difficult because the Lord doesn't lead us that way. So we want to let the Holy Spirit lead us here. Um, get an environment. So I think part of my journey was I ended up with YWAM in Tokyo or I ended up with BSSM in Reading. And in those environments, there were tons of fathers and mothers who were running around doing their thing. And as I continued to be postured toward I'm willing to be discipled. I want that. I'm open to it. I would like to find this. Somewhere eventually along the way, it happened. I couldn't have pulled this off. The Lord made this happen, but I was ready. My heart was prepared. I was willing. I wasn't holding stuff back. I was ready to throw down. And I think when I got in the interview with Deborah, she could she picked that up. She was aware, like, I was ready to serve. My skill set at that point in my life did not qualify me for that job. I was not like the guy that should have been, you know, hired for the position. Honestly, like I had skills, but I saw the applications after I got the job. There were over 200 people that had applied for the position. There were several people in that stack that were way more qualified than I was for that job. And I was like, why did I get this job? This is crazy. I think sovereignly the Lord was part of this. I mean, like governing and orchestrating it, but also 
my heart was to serve. And I think Deborah discerned that she was aware of it and it was a big win for her. Right. So anyway, my point is, um, get an environment, practically get into an environment or a space, get around people that actually have something like that, that you'd like to receive from. And maybe it's not that person individually that you'll be mentored by, but that will probably lead you to connections and opportunities that might actually connect you to the person that the Lord has for you. My point is don't just sit back and wait for God to intervene, like participate. Don't make it happen. Don't try and control this process, but cast your lot, demonstrate your desire, make your requests known with your actions, with your choices, with how you spend your time, right? Like get around the places and the people that actually have an outlet for you to be found by a mentor. Don't just like pray in your prayer closet. That's going to work for like four people and it doesn't not work. It works. But for the most, for most of us, you're going to need to get into the arena. You need to get into the marketplace, get around those people. So practically like get in those spaces. And then lastly, I'm going to throw in there, um, let the Lord prepare your heart, like spend time with the Lord and like become nice and aware of what it is he's asking of you. And then as you have an adre- have a direction or an idea of where he's taking you, like for me, I knew ministry was going to be a big part of this. So ministry school made a lot of sense, right? That was a practical like lenience toward things that I knew the Lord was cultivating in me. If you're called to business, if you're called to politics or whatever, right? Education, like if you feel you're called to a certain direction because of the Lord, then allow him to prepare your heart to move in that direction and let him highlight the path or direction that you want to go in. Maybe it's that school. Maybe it's that establishment. Maybe it's that business. I don't know. Like let him kind of lead you and also pay attention to the little whispers. You have to become like a little kid. This is fantastic. It's imaginary. Like if it doesn't feel like you are crazy and you're trying to live in a fairy tale, then you're probably not doing it right. Honestly, like my journey that took me from Portland to Reading with everything that's happened in the last 10 years, I felt the most successful and clear I ever was in any part of this journey was when I was like a little kid shocked at the fairy tale I was living and the little secrets that God was hiding for me in the fabric of reality, this, in this physical place. I was like, holy crap, my steps are ordained. Like this is happening on purpose. He's doing this. And it was shocking and it continued to stoke and fuel this faith in me that made me feel like a childish little boy. But we enter the kingdom as children, right? Like that is how the Lord is going to lead you. So if you're missing the childlike wonder and the possibilities and the imagination, something's probably off. You want to allow yourself to go to that place and he will lead you from there. It must feel fairy tale, Fantastic. Like I'm not saying it has to look a certain parameter way, but you're going to be a little adventurer, explorer, hopeful hero, right? That's like looking for how you're going to move forward, right? And from that place, the Lord will orchestrate and reveal things that, will blow your mind. It'll be a story worth telling. You guys, closing thought here, I want you to know there are mentors out there for you. There is a rabbi with your name on his heart. Like they're there. And if you're ever going to find them, you have to believe that they exist. So I just want to speak encouragement and possibility to your life. There is a mentor out there for you. The Lord has intentioned that has designed this for you. There's an intention here. So go ahead and just give yourself permission to hope for and anticipate and look for that person and then follow that thread. Go be a kid and explore. Enter the woods. Like, go find them. They're there. You can have it. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com. 